Good evening and welcome to yet another episode of Across the Pond. Barry, it's episode 30, we've turned 30 and on this one we struggled to find a place to actually get together to talk over the interwebs. One of those days where technology is not in our favor, Chad. We tried a bunch of different platforms, lots of camera issues, but luckily we're finally here. We are in crystal clear clarity and sounding smooth as ever. Indeed. Welcome. Pond, across the pond, with Barry and Chad. So we were just having a quick catch up. I obviously am taking full advantage of the one week in the year that I have, you know, weather winning rights over Barry there in South Africa. Um, so, you know, <laughs> taking full advantage of that. I've been living vicariously through your Instagram stories, Chad, and seeing all the gelato events and all the cycling and then the park and all that good stuff. And we are very jealous from the side of the pond. It's been good. That's all I can say. Well, let's get into what's happened this past week. The week that was... And in the week that was today, we start off on rather a somber note. Chad, it's been a dark couple of days in the world. I think that yeah. uh, everyone is talking about one story, and that is the story of George Floyd. Um, and obviously, it's taken over the whole world and the whole of social media. And so we're going to start with this because we have to address it. We have to talk about it. Definitely. It's a big moment when we think about kind of the social progress we made as humanity and like what the next couple of years is going to look like. And I think it's what will help us start, Chad, is we'll talk through exactly what happened, the facts of the yeah. story, and then we can get into a bit more of our thoughts and opinions as to what's happened. So if you haven't heard, if you've been living under a rock, what happened was there was a viral video that was going around the internet. And the video was a shocking, horrendous, diabolical video of a U.S. policeman yeah. kneeling on the neck of someone he had arrested, um, and a man by the name of George Floyd, a black man. And uh, George Floyd was arrested for using a counterfeit check in one of the grocery stores, um, was arrested, and then was for nine minutes, this guy, this, this policeman, was shown kneeling on George Floyd's neck as he begged to, to be released, right? Um, unfortunately, after that whole, whole process, um, George Floyd ended up in hospital in critical condition and ended up passing away. Um, and so the video is absolutely shocking and kind of there was a huge uproar that went up as soon as the video started to go viral about this but it, it's it's a murder basically it's a murder by the policeman sure. on george floyd and it's kind of indicative of a lot of the police brutality we see in the united states for a long time this kind of feels like the, the straw that broke the camel's back i mean we've seen lots and lots of high profile police shootings in, the, in america and police murders in america especially of black people and uh, i think that this is kind of the last straw and so what we saw was a huge uproar across the world across america we saw lots of violent protests especially in minneapolis where this happened but also across the states in new york and san francisco and los yeah. angeles and a bunch of different states as well chad as a few cities around the world so yeah. i saw in berlin i saw in a couple of cities around the world it really has become a global movement and a global conversation about the the racism that is still present in our society that is still kind of systemically involved in a lot of the developing world and the developed world yeah. and uh, for the u.s this is a really really bad time for this because obviously we're coming through the pandemic everyone is trying to deal with that and now these riots and the and these kind of protests are taking place that are really pushing america to try and figure out what are they going to do about this yeah. Obviously, it's a diabolical thing, and uh, we're very happy to say that all four um, officers who were part of it were arrested, and the one who was kneeling on George Floyd's neck has been charged for murder. Um, but this is not the begin. This is not the end of the story, because of course we've seen lots of these in the past, and uh, everyone is so gung-ho for justice everyone is hurting everyone is really feeling this emotionally and it's been a really really sad couple of days chad 
absolutely, absolutely tragic video. I mean, for a little while, I obviously saw all the posts coming around and, you know, based on what people had said about the video, I'd kind of hulled off on, on looking at it because it definitely does um, tug at your heartstrings. Um, and I just had to, I just had to, you know, for the sake of, of getting full context and understanding of the story, had to watch the video. And um, yeah, I mean, those cries of his, um, you know, absolute agony and, uh, you know, just no compassion whatsoever by that uh, policeman um, really, really does just, as I said, tug those the deepest, deepest heartstrings. Um, and I, I just can't believe something like this um, is happening in, in today's you know, day and age. And I'm just really, really pleased that somebody was there recording it um, and that, you know, that little recording has um, really just sparked this conversation um, that, like you said, I think has been kind of bubbling underneath the surface for some time um, and obviously, you know, has led to to us talking about it now as well. Um, but really, really tragic that a man who had allegedly done something has lost his life, um, you know, didn't get the chance to go to trial for whatever it is that he was accused of doing. Um, and, you know, his life was robbed away from him, um, you know, prematurely, which is absolutely disgusting and uh, really just sad. Yeah, Chad, it really is a sad state of affairs. I mean, the fact that we're still dealing with this sort of thing, like years and years after the yep. first kind of um, police brutality we saw in the, in the States, and, and nothing has really changed, to be honest. That's why I think everyone is so angry and is so up in arms, is because we've seen time and time again examples of this, examples of police using like undue force and undue brutality on African-Americans in the States, um, and for reasons that, that don't hold up, right? Yep. There's justifications that don't hold up. Um, like Everyone understands that policing is a very difficult job like you don't actually know what's going on often there's a lot of fear there there's a lot of anxiety um, it is a difficult job but some of these videos and especially this one and, and a lot of kind of these cases have just been absolute no-brainers they've absolutely been like terrible terrible things that have happened and uh it kind of feels like the beginning of a revolution. Um, if I look at social media right now, um, based on the, the kind of everything's happening in the States, every video I see is of people looting stores and of burning police stations and writing graffiti on CNN walls and all this kind of stuff. It really feels like the beginning of a revolution of sorts. Um, and the black community is, is simply not going to sit down anymore and kind of take this. Um, and, and more than that, I think around the world, people have been standing in solidarity with that community Definitely. to say that this is not okay yep. and to really denounce the sort of violence and denounce this this overt racism that still exists in our society. It is such a sensitive topic because, of course, um, slavery of the past and kind of the injustice of the past is still quite fresh in our memories, sure. even though it was a, a generation or two ago. Um, and when we see something like this, it kind of harks back to that past. And we'd like to think that we're past that. We'd like to think that we are more united in society. We'd like to think that we've made lots of progress. But examples like this really put the spotlight as to whether we have actually made that progress. And so the movement of Black Lives Matter, the movements of these sort of social progress kind of discussions is very important to have both for the black community, but also for people like us, Chad, yep. white people who are in privileged positions, who have like all the opportunities in the world to ensure that we stand up with those people and really make it clear that every human is equal and every human has value regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their color, regardless of any of that. Um, and that's an important message we have to carry forward. And, and that's that's kind of hope we have to carry forward. Right now, it feels a little bit hopeless. It yeah. feels a little bit like pessimistic, right? When you look at what's happening, um, and as as a society, as people, as uh, compassionate human beings, we have to believe we can move past this. We have to believe that this might be the start of that change, and we can start moving towards a more equal society. 
Yeah, I think you're right there, Barry. I think this definitely does feel like the beginning of something that is, you know, significant and something that will hopefully uh, not just fade away in a few weeks, months, you know, years time. Um, I suppose when it comes to our generation, it does seem like we have been the generation to tackle these kinds of topics that have, you know, really not been focused on enough uh, in the in the previous generations. Things like climate change as well, um, and obviously, uh, you know, something as important as racism, um, which, like you said, I think is undeniably evident everywhere around the world and it's one of those topics that for a long time has been taboo like we've discussed before there's a load of emotion behind it from all sides of the argument and I think now we're at the point where people are really just putting through sort of objective evidence and everyone is stepping back and saying let's look at the facts as they are Um, let's look at what has happened and this is wrong no matter where you stand, no human being um, could say, no, well, that's fine. You know, what happened is fine. Um, it, it's, it's so wrong. And I think that's what's so great to see is that everyone is uniting now at this point. And I just hope that it will carry on uh, going this movement and that this conversation doesn't just flare up and, and kind of fade away into the distance again. I think it's a very important point, Chad. I think there's so much emotion right now. And kind of if you, if you look at the way that the media is set up and social media is set up, it's designed to hype up mo- moments like this to really like yeah. make it number one trending topic everywhere. But we've seen time and time again, after a few days or a few weeks, it kind of fades out into the distance and we start to forget about it because the news cycle is so short. And that's what I'm worried about. In order to see real sustainable change, we need to move beyond the petitions and the likes on Facebook yeah. and kind of the solidarity shown on social media and we need to be able to carry these conversations into our our circles into our friends and our family into our communities and uh, that's when i start to worry about whether all of this emotion gets in the way of making long-term sustainable change right at the moment with so much emotion and so much kind of heartache and and suffering it's hard to think of what is what is the right plan to move forward how do you plot and strategize and try, try and get rid of some of these systemic pieces of oppression and pieces of racism um, and so what I'm hoping, Chad, is that this movement is not simply a social media frenzy for no reason and that it actually continues. And it's incumbent on all of us to take this forward. I was having a chat with a friend uh, yesterday and saying that it's all of our responsibilities, no matter what color you are, no matter what yep. background you have, to take these conversations seriously, to move them away from being taboo, like you were saying, and actually bring yep. them into the light because that's how we move society forward. That's what social progress is made of. It's made of individuals deciding to take whatever they can, whatever communities, whatever people they can influence and pull them onto the right path, the ethical path. And uh, so I, for one, am hoping that happens. And uh, Chad, I'm trying to find ways of how to make sure that happens in my own life. I've been trying to think of beyond just saying things on social media, beyond just writing a post about it, beyond any of that, what can I do in my own life? And I'd like to encourage anyone listening or anyone watching right now is to do some real introspection and, and think about what you can do in your own life, in your own communities, to do your part. Because the kind of actions that we take after this frenzy has died down is really going to be indicative of what kind of people we are and what kind of world we want to live in. Completely agree there, Barry. It's all very well to talk the talk, um, but until you actually do the walking, um, you know, nothing actually practically is going to change. And so I really like that angle. And uh, I've certainly seen from the posting that, you know, has been going up around. uh, There's been even a couple of posts that say, you know, if you're silent, you're complicit and all of those kinds of things to to, to kind of try and make you feel guilty, I suppose, um, you know, unless you put something up. And for me, that's not 
progress. Progress is people who genuinely want to see change, uh, putting things up because they actually want to, you know, be a part of this and and actually taking it further than putting something up on social media and actually, you know, going into their circle of friends filtering out the messages that need to be uh, done and uh, ultimately, you know, drawing this conversation further to its closure. I completely agree there. And I don't think guilt is an effective mechanism for change here. Yep. Like guilt is not the way we should be going, right? We should be trying to find areas of similarity, areas yep. of solidarity. I think for us in, in our position, we need to be listening to kind of the voices of the black community and listening to the suffering and trying to be empathetic with them. Um, but it, like you say, it's not about guilting people into, into pretending they believe in something. It's about trying to imagine what is the vision for the world you want to live in. Like when you have children one day, what kind of world do you want them to inhabit? And what kind of actions can you take as an individual to move in that direction? Yep. Um, and so I agree with you. I think that the guilt thing is real right now on social media. It, I mean, if you go on and you see all your friends yep. posting about it, all of the media posting about it, all the celebrities posting about it, there's that need to almost be a part of that. Um, and as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, I think sure. it's it's great and I think it's important. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to it doesn't matter what you do on social media. It doesn't matter what your Instagram looks like. Yeah. What matters is in your own life, in your interactions with people of different backgrounds and different diverse kind of places, how are you treating those people? How are you ensuring that everyone is taken seriously and is respected like they should be? Yeah, and uh, just your general humanity. I mean, we, we're going to come to the space launch just now. And, and like the humanity that we all share is so powerful if we get it right. Sure. If we're able to collaborate and to really take diversity seriously, we can achieve incredible things. Yeah. And so it's in all of our interests to really push this narrative and to really make that change happen in our individual lives. And uh, yeah, it needs to go beyond social media. Well, let's before we move on, uh, let's just quickly touch on on Trump and you know the kind of controversy that's been uh, surrounding him throughout this whole incident and and everything else that's been unfolding. Um, you know, he has obviously taken to Twitter as he always does when anything is going on, and uh, you know, very quick, hot headedly, um, you know bashes out these tweets that really just do rub people up the wrong way um, because they are just not thought out uh, carefully enough before he tweets them out. So the tweets I'm talking about is, uh, you know, one where he refers to people who are doing looting as thugs. Um, he also refers to, you know, policemen as good people. Um, and, you know, this message that when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um, is it just me, Barry, or are people not really reading between the lines? But it seems fairly overt. Yeah, it's a difficult one, Chad. Uh, that kind of tweet really shook the world and shook the community in this in this discussion. Um, obviously, he backtracked after the the backlash and kind of came back and said he was out of context and he gave this whole explanation for it. But when, when I read that tweet, I don't see how you can see it any other way. He yeah. really was provoking people, and yeah. uh, I think that's it's very dangerous for the president of the United States. I mean, we've seen a lot yeah. from Trump, right? We've seen a lot of crazy things from his Twitter accounts, but this feels like something that could really be a real dent in his election hopes because in a moment like this where you want your leader to stand up and really like speak for what's right and wants to really be a charismatic figure who really like pulls the country together he just sowed more discord with this tweet and it's it's really horrible to see and and i think why it was so monumental chad is because basically he was glorifying violence at least in, yeah. in twitter's eyes right so twitter made a a very big decision to censor his tweet for the very yeah. first time yeah. and put like a little uh, a, a briefing over the tweet saying listen this tweet violates our, our terms of service because it glorifies violence sure. um but we believe in the public interest to still be able to show you the tweet so you had to click on it to see the tweet actually happen and this is the first time they censored it. And he said some crazy stuff in the past, but this is the first time they really had the soft censorship. And it opened a whole new can of worms 
as to what is Twitter's role in all of this? What is social media's role in kind of managing the public conversation and managing very difficult topics like this? Trump fired back, wanting to throw regulation at them, wanting to like punish them for censoring him. Um, but at the same stage, like Twitter really showed that they are trying to do the best for the public yep. good and trying. And they and and it's a big statement because tr tr uh, Trump is probably the number one user. It's probably the number one draw card to Twitter right now. He's got eighty odd million followers and has the whole world looking at him at every single every single moment in time. And so it's a tweet that was really really poor from his perspective. It really showed. Um, it looked bad from an American perspective. And uh, hopefully this, I mean, this is my personal opinion here, but hopefully this will begin to to really dent his election hopefuls. And hopefully we can, we can get a real adult into that office in the next election. Yep, yep. That would certainly be a good thing for the whole world. Um, I think that moment, that moment to censor a tweet like this is an important one. Um, you know, we have we saw Zuckerberg um, sitting in Congress and testifying various things. And I think it's because of these types of actions that are required um, that in hindsight do actually pass through, um, I suppose, an, an ordinary man kind of street test, um, you know, with whether this was a reasonable thing to do. And I, and I think it was a reasonable thing to do. The fact that they still kept it on there for public interest um, also really importantly showcases what their purpose is and, you know, what, what it is that, that the platform is, is trying to do. Um, last thing I wanted to chat about, Barry, is just in terms of the, the protests turning violent. It seems like whenever there are these kinds of big messages um, for some reason, it requires this change to to violence for for people to actually take notice. What is it? Do you think that actually flicks that switch, um, you know, from peaceful to violent? This is a really dif difficult topic um, because I think that it's hard to understand exactly what's going on in those protests, right? I think we saw in South Africa as well. We've seen protests here yeah. in South Africa. There's often a small contingent that makes things violent. Often, like, the movement is nonviolent and the sure. movement is in the right spirit. But with anything like this, you kind of attract some of the wrong people. And so there's some bad apples who see it as an opportunity to, to take things to the next level and kind of push the boundaries of what is possible. Right. And so it's hard to know exactly what proportion of that contingent has been violent. I mean, the looting of the shops and all that has been horrible, right? It's been terrible yeah. to see. Um, and it's hard to know, does that represent the movement itself or is it just a few bad apples within those movements? But beyond that, um, I think if we look back at, at history and look back at some of the revolutions we've seen, it, f it feels like it requires some sort of violence yeah. for the elitists or kind of the governments yeah. to really take notice. And that's a really sad state of affairs Definitely. when you actually aren't listening to your people until they destroy things, until they kind of really force you to listen because yeah. they, they go beyond the, the, the law. Um, and so there's a really interesting ethical debate here as to whether that violence is for the greater good. If, if it brings about the change that we want to see in the world, then perhaps it is justified, right? But at the same time, we don't want to set the precedent that violence is okay or that looting is okay no matter what your cause is because that's a very dangerous precedent to set. And so I don't know where I stand on it. I, I kind of I, I flip-flop between the two extremes and find it very difficult to understand what's going on. Mm. I think that social media will definitely hype up the violence because that's what sells ads and that's what gets clicks. So that's all you're going to see on social media. But unless you're actually there at the protest and you really understand what is going on, it's hard to say. I mean, I've seen videos of, of um, protesters 
protecting shop owners and getting in the yep. way of their fellow protesters and telling them, no, 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 we're not going to destroy this. We're not going to burn this down, et cetera, et cetera. And so it is a really difficult one, Chad, and I don't quite know how to answer it. Yeah, it really, really is such a tricky topic. And uh, I suppose that's just the point that I was going to bring is, is that it seems like, you know, for there to be notice, for there to be conversation, um, it requires this sort of insane out of control spectacle. And that is such a strange phenomenon, I suppose. The one thing that it does do, though, um, unfortunately for the event that just happened, is it doesn't really show George Floyd off um, in the best possible way. A man who had a very loving family, and there's a family that's grieving, really, at the moment, and the world that's grieving uh, through his loss. Um, but to see that loss out in this kind of way is, is probably not the best way that people would want to remember him. Yeah, definitely not. And, and it, it can be argued that it sets the movement back a little bit, right, if it yep. gets out of hand, because it kind of sets the wrong example and really shows a, a potential side of the movement that maybe shouldn't be explored, right, or shouldn't be yeah. seen. Um, of course, you are mourning, you're grieving, and so much of this comes from an emotional response. So much of this comes from the anger and the heartache and the sadness and, and the grief uh, from a moment like this. And that's why it's so difficult to kind of detach your emotions from the situation and try and figure out what is the best for the movement. How do you actually impact it? How do you use George Floyd his, and use his memory and kind of his his, his legacy, which is now going to go forward forever, yeah. um, and use that name to push that movement forward? And I don't think violent protests do it. But at the same time, what else can you do? How many more peaceful protests are we going to have to have, right? How many more petitions do you have to sign, et cetera, et cetera? Um, at the end of the day, these people want justice. They want things to change. They want a, a better society and a better world. Um, and so, yeah, it's such a hard one, Chad. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see some change and meaningful change. Uh, in the coming years. Well, let's now move on to something uh, that was very, very historic that happened this past weekend um, that Barry was really very excited about. Um, I was quite excited about it as well. Um, first, there was a failed attempt because of weather. Um, but finally, on Saturday, um, NASA and SpaceX, a private venture, got two of NASA's sort of highly qualified astronauts into space on a private vehicle. Yeah, really historic moments. And, and like you say, I was watching all of it with bated breath. It really was a really inspiring kind of moment for space exploration. And in the midst of what's been happening, it really has been a moment of hope yeah. and a moment of kind of to celebrate as, as what humanity can accomplish. Um, the reason it's such a big deal, of course, we've sent lots of people to space by now. We've got lots of astronauts who've been to the, the space station and whatnot. Why it's such a big moment is that it's the very first time that a private company yeah. has sent humans into space, right? Traditionally, space has kind of been... Uh, dominated and dictated by government organizations and by giant kind of international cooperation. Um, SpaceX is a private company formed by Elon Musk himself, of course, and uh, they managed to get two astronauts from and from NASA to the space station with no hitches. Yeah. It really is a big step forward for space commercialization. And uh, hopefully it's the first of many as we start to kind of unlock more of the value there. SpaceX, of course, have made this possible by, by inventing reusable rockets, which have brought the cost way, way down. Right. They've really done a lot of amazing new technology to try and bring the cost of space exploration down to hopefully get to a stage where we can start to have lots of commerce going on and people going up and down from space and perhaps a, a lunar base and hopefully one day to Mars. And this is kind of the first step, the first kind of test that a private company like SpaceX can work with a public-private partnership with NASA and get two astronauts up to the space station, get the rocket to land back on Earth to be reused and uh, to do all of that uh, while live streaming the whole thing. It really was amazing to watch. 
Absolutely fascinating. And for me, the whole thing is how quick it was all over. I don't know what it is, but I always thought, you know, when, you, when you're in science and you're studying these kinds of things and you think in light years, I really thought it would take a lot longer to catch up to the International Space Station. But within sort of a day and a half, two days, it was all over. They were there, landed safely. Um, it really, really is incredible. And, and like you said, the fact that we've got that quality imagery that was being live streamed the whole time um, really just does show you the kind of advancements that we've made over the last couple of years. The one thing that does spring to mind as somebody who hasn't really been following this very, very closely over the last couple of years is I believe Richard Branson was going to do something similar. And uh, I'm not entirely sure whether that's still going to happen with Virgin. I think it was Virgin Galactic or something like that. Barry, you surely you would know a bit more on this. Yeah, definitely. So the, the, there's a couple of guys who are trying to build these things. So Richard Branson is trying to do it with Virgin Galactic and they're trying to open up space as a tourist destination. Right. So their vision is that one day civilians, so who are not astronauts, will be able to go through a little bit of training and they'll be able to go up into space as a tourist activity. Um, Jeff Bezos who has a company called Blue Origin, which is also doing trying to do the same sort of thing. And so right. I think um, because this kind of is proving the concept, I think we'll see a bunch of other new private space companies start to do things in, 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 this, in this area. And that's what Elon Musk is so amazing at doing. In the same way that the Tesla's kind of ushered in this new era of electric cars and show that it was possible to build a brand new electric car company, yeah. his SpaceX is doing exactly the same thing. It's proving the concept that private space companies are possible. And so while SpaceX is still far ahead from their competitors for the moment, I anticipate the, the, the Bransons of the world and the Bezoses of the world to really see this as a real opportunity to try and catch up and even bring that price even further down. The more we can bring the price of this exploration down, the more we can do in space and the more kind of opportunity there is for exploration going forward. And so it really was an amazing to see. I mean, personally, I love the stuff. I found it incredibly inspiring. Yeah. There's, something, there's something incredible about watching a skyscraper lift off from the ground, go into orbit, right? Release the <laughs> skyscraper and land the skyscraper back on its on the ground yeah. then to watch the space station go around the earth a couple times and in 19 hours dock autonomously without any human intervention to the international space station it like it, it's it's a feat of engineering and a feat of human cooperation that is is hard to fathom especially yeah. for those outside of science and outside of physics um but it, it is a, a monumental step for us as we as we try and become a species that is multi-planetary as we try and make sure we can have an insurance policy and get some people onto the moon, get some people onto Mars, and I really kind of push that boundary and see what's out there in the universe. So Chad, I came out of it energized and inspired, and it really was an amazing thing to watch. Well, yeah, I think let's let's touch on that a little bit more, the, the emotion of it. Um, obviously, like you said, this week was um, very somber, um, you know, for many different reasons. Um, and to have this kind of victory at the time where it came, um, I think we could definitely draw some comparisons um, to when, you know, the first human went on to the moon. And I remember watching a kind of very poignant episode, I would say, of The Crown, which we've spoken about before, um, where Prince Philip just gets obsessed with the the event and the occasion. And, and, and like you said, just the, the awe. This idea that humans are so much more than, you know, we give ourselves credit for at the moment. And so just take us through a little bit more of your emotional journey, really. Um, you know, I, I certainly would love to hear more about that. Yeah, definitely. So I think for me, um, the first piece is the engineering um, marvel, right? So I, yeah. I know nothing about physics. I know nothing about aeronautical engineering. But having watched like the three hours before launch and watched like the amount of effort that goes into every single little thing on that space on that space launch, the hundreds of people who are involved. So we only talk about the two astronauts, but there are hundreds of people who are involved in every single aspect, so looking at various pieces of the puzzle, making sure that everything is running exactly as it is. 
the precision of everything. Like the idea that you can land a skyscraper on a drone ship in the middle of the ocean when it's coming down at who knows what speed, yeah. right? It's a skyscraper and you land it on its on its um, legs is is <laughs> unbelievable. It's 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 when you watch it, you can't believe it because yeah. the amount of precision to know that the exact point with the wind and the sea moving and the atmosphere and everything yeah. to land it is incredible. So the precision, the attention to detail, the engineering skill that it takes to get that into orbit is is mind-blowing to me and it really it makes you wonder about your own life it's like, like it makes you feel like what am i doing with my life these guys yeah. are sending rockets into space right yeah. it gives you that moment of of a complete wonder as to what is possible then the second piece for me chad was when you get when you see those images of the space station looking down on the earth and you see the images of the, yeah. of the earth from space it really reminds you of how insignificant we actually are <laughs> Yeah. It's like a cosmic insignificance. It, it really should humble us when we realize that we are just on a spinning rock in the middle of an infinite universe, in the middle of darkness, in the middle of yeah. infinite vacuum of space. And there's this little rock, and on that rock we live. And we kind of see ourselves as super important. Yeah. But when you get to that kind of level and you get that perspective, you realize that um, we're not as important as we think we are. And we are super lucky and we should be super grateful to find ourselves on this planet which can support life. We find ourselves in the spot where when you look down on, on the earth, all of humanity is the same. And, that, and that's why I thought it was so poetic that happened during all this race stuff is because yeah. when you're looking down from the space station, it doesn't matter what color you are because you're just a little ant, a little ant on this rock, <laughs> right? And uh, the more we can see images like that and be reminded of our cosmic insignificance, it can free us from taking ourselves so seriously. It can free us from some of the tribalism that we see in the world today yeah. and make us realize that as humans, we are one thing. We are one thing. We are all together in this. We are the same. We are the same thing um and it, and for some reason it takes those moments to look at the earth from a, from a distance and realize that because if you don't have that perspective if you aren't able to see those images or see that video you you can live in your own little bubble in wherever you live in johannesburg in london wherever you are right now you can live in that bubble and not realize how big everything is around you when you see those images and you see things like uh, like their, their Mars plans and what they want to do and, and and whatnot, it's hard not to feel that. Uh, hold on a minute, like the world and the universe is so much bigger than just me. Absolutely, it's a it's a fascinating insight, and uh, I mean, I just loved your explanation there. I, I really have nothing to add. I just love that element of a wonder, and like you said, just kind of taking a moment to, to actually appreciate this. I know a lot of people just went on with their day to day lives. Um, I mean, I I watched the first sort of ten minutes, and I, it was insane, fascinating. Um, but very very luckily, when I got home. Um, I actually managed to spot it in the sky in uh, London. My neighbors were uh, screaming at us, quickly look up, quickly look up. Um, and yeah, fascinating, fascinating just to see it and the kind of speed at which it was moving. Um, just really great to, to see that moment in history. Um, such an important one. So Barry, let's now move on uh, to something else that happened this past week. Obviously, as we speak of uh, the internet, the world of the internet as it is at the moment and why creating content is so valuable for so many people. Um, obviously, the next thing to talk about is advertising. Uh, you have seen some movement on the space. Yeah, definitely. We, we, we chatted about data privacy a lot on this podcast, and we continue to see it as a key theme going forward. And uh, we saw some big news to, uh, this week from the New York Times, which was probably one of the most important publishers across the world, right? And the announcement was that from 2021, the New York Times is not going to use third-party data to target advertisements because of privacy concerns. 
right? So instead of using um, tracking pixels on Facebook and Twitter to kind of track where yeah. you were on the web beforehand and then target ads to you on the New York Times site, what they're going to do is they're going to build their own data platform. So they're going to okay. look at their subscriber base. They're going to gather the, the, the data they have on you from how you browse their site and going to provide a proprietary first-person data platform with way fewer segmentations, way fewer groups for, for, for companies to buy ads on but hopefully then to avoid some of the problems that we're seeing with the advertising-based model with the Facebooks and, and Twitters of the world. Yeah. It's a really interesting move because it kind of takes the power away from those big social media platforms and, and, and says, listen, we're not happy with how you're targeting people. We're not happy with the privacy stuff. So we're going to do it ourselves and we're going to do it as best as we can. We have the New York Times brand behind us. So users yeah. trust us for the most part. Um, advertisers trust us for the most part. And uh, so they're going to segment their own people based on only information on their site. Uh, and so it's quite a big move, Chad. And I think we're going to see a lot of companies copy them as it goes forward if it works. Yeah, I think it's a great move. Why not? So you're on their site and they're able to, to look at your reading habits and you know the relevant stuff on their actual platform uh, that should interest you. I don't know about you, Barry, but I've got loads of different interests and you know I might look on Facebook for something very specific, look on YouTube for something very different. Um, and so for me, if each of those platforms could kind of look at me in isolation, I think I'll get a better experience out of everyone. You also might have different preferences. So let's say you use New York Times for, I don't know, let's say business type reads and you want to use something like the BBC for, for something else, your other general day-to-day -day stuff or w whatever the case is. You know where I'm going here. Um, so I definitely think uh, there's some value here and uh, hopefully some companies will take a page out of their book. Yeah, definitely. What remains to be seen here, does the model work economically, right? So what remains to be seen is that you're not going to get the same level of targeting as you had beforehand. And so the question is going to be, are the advertisers going to see the same ROI or an acceptable ROI based on those ads if the targeting is a little bit less precise? Right. And if they aren't if they aren't going to see that, are they going to pull the money from the New York Times and use it elsewhere? So that's what remains to be seen as to whether the economic model works yeah. and whether the New York Times can get the required revenue they need based on these new target, these, these new segmentations. Um, and so, Chad, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great move. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see like, how it goes. And I'm really hoping that the model works because that, that for me, is a much better way to look at it rather than uh, these pixels tracking you everywhere you go on the yeah. web. Yep, yep, definitely. Well, let's certainly follow that over time and see how that implementation happens. Uh, one thing I was pretty happy to to talk about this past week, especially as we had such a fantastic um, you know, weather weekend, was Boris announced from today, actually from Monday, um, that we can start meeting people in groups of up to six outdoors. And that includes private gardens. So for all those South Africans who are living in the UK, you can now go to a friend's house and have a bride, essentially, um, as long as you obviously maintain the social distancing rules. And why I think the, the sort of timing of this announcement was so good was it kind of gave you a bit of hope, knowing that there was going to be that you know, great weather weekend. It didn't feel like it was all wasted. I think a lot of people have been kind of getting a little bit antsy, getting a little bit restless and not holding up to the nth degree of, of the rules, um, where I think the timing of this really just was that little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think it's fantastic. The fact that the data shows um, that, you know, the infection rates outside are, are not as high. Um, I think it's great that they've, they've kind of taken this step and, uh, and are letting people at least interact socially uh, face to face again, which does feel um, like a little bit of form of normal again. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's like a little bit of a release to the pressure valve, right? A little bit of a release yeah. to kind of let some of that go. And hopefully, I'm sure it'll improve morale and improve kind of the, the feeling in the country. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to, got to monitor what happens to the case numbers as a result. Um, but I think that the UK has done a really good job over the last couple of weeks as to really stabilizing things for the most part. And I think as long as people still take the virus seriously and still kind of look after themselves, these sorts of releases are quite important. Because as you say, it's another step on the way back to normal life, whatever that means, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, for one, am jealous. I, I hope we see that in South Africa um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think for the moment, uh, I'm going to have to live vicariously through you, Chad. Well, I'm sure at some point you guys will be on level two. And when that happens, you'll find out what that actually means. Um, one of the other things regarding uh, the UK's ease is that the English Premier League is, is about to get started again. Barry, as a sport lover, are you pleased about this? I'm very pleased, Chad. I actually can't wait. I was worried that the league was going to be cancelled, yeah. um, but I'm very happy to, to to see that it's going to be starting up again on the 17th of June. And so for all football fans around the world, they are elated. I know a lot of my friends can't wait to get some real football in their lives again. Um, of course, the, the Premier League is probably the biggest league in the world, and so, and so there's so many people around the world who are excited about this. Um, I think that they've already done lots of tests to try and figure out if this is going to happen. So as far as I, as far as I see, they've done three rounds of tests on all players and all staff so far. They've found 12 positive cases out of the 2,752 so far. Okay. Um, and the tests are going to continue twice a week, Chad, for everyone as the league resumes. Okay. So they're keeping a very tight leash on this thing. They're trying to make sure they can manage as best as possible. Um, and we're going to have to see what happens. Hopefully, like the Bundesliga, which has now had two weeks, which has been running normally with no, issue, with no issues, that gives us a lot of confidence that hopefully the Premier League is going to be the same. Um, and so, Chad, I'm really looking forward to it and i can't wait for the 17th fantastic well barry just to throw you quickly on the spot and i'll let you think throughout our episode i was doing a quiz night the other night where a question was asked which english premier league team does not have a vowel in the first five letters of the team name i'll definitely let you give a give a little think about that and the listeners as well mm. um, i found it quite mm. tricky um, but when you hear the name you'll want to hit yourself um let's now move on <laughs> to the next segment Stuff I found interesting. Right, so stuff I found interesting. This is literally our little board to throw anything we came across this past week. And I wanted to throw something on here, which was a great little article, kind of storyboard piece, uh, if you'd like, from the, the New York Times, who we actually just spoke about. And the title of this piece was The Unexpected Solace in Learning to Play the Piano. And I just found it such a refreshing little piece. Um, for those of you who, you know, don't love reading like me, um, I'm definitely very, very visual and I'm trying to make an effort to read a lot more. Um, but I really loved uh, the, the message that, that I got from this little piece. So it was really just a piece of, of this guy and, and how during this lockdown, you know, he figured it was a time to, to turn to new skills, learn some new things. But then he realized that he wasn't good at, you know, learning cooking or, you know, pottery or any of these other sort of random hobbies so he wanted to then extend his current hobbies a little bit further um, which were running and playing piano um, and you know running there's obviously a limited amount of you know running you can do you can't exactly do it every single day but he's not going to be very happy with that and um, so he turned to his piano and uh, it was just this journey that really just shows you how important it is for us to have an escape in life when the world is literally on fire and things are going crazy and running rampant all around us. And there is one thing you just can't deny. 
those keys will always be the same. You can always pick up a composition and play it, whether it's 142 years old or whatever the case is. Um, and so there's something so special about that, I guess. And and this piece really just showed it to me. What it also showed is really how hard it is to, to play piano. When you start thinking about the skills that you need to do, at the same time, you need to be reading, listening, thinking, translating, because ultimately it's it's a language. Um, and, you know, there's actually, you're not left with any capacity to to think and overthink about what's happening outside. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just such a great little piece. I definitely recommend you go and check it out, um, as I said, from the New York Times. And the sketch is really great, too. Just two little quotes before I ramble on and on even more, um, which I really loved about this was, it makes no difference whether I'm inspired or not. And I think that's one of the things with hobbies. You know, when it comes to reading or, you know, watching a particular style of movie, you really need to be in the mood. Um, you can't just kind of pick it up every single day. Um, where playing a piano, you can play two bars on end for hours and hours and hours. And it's just one of those things where you don't always have to write new content. There's loads of compositions out there that will fit the mood that you're in. Um, and I thought that was great. The other thing that I really, really enjoyed was talking about those 142-year-old compositions and, uh, and, and really just describing them in this little phrase that the composers would have, you know, kind of inferred when they created it. And that is, follow these precise instructions to bring the composition alive for some fleeting seconds, which I really just loved. I really love that. I, I think that I've always been in awe of, of the power of sheet music. Like the whole idea that, that, like you say, 142 years ago, some guy can write these little squiggles on a piece of paper, which is like his idea for what comes out of his brain. He manifests it onto a piece of paper. And that you and I, Chad, can print that out today and play exactly what that person imagined all those years ago is, is really is really cool. It's like it's history on, on paper. Yeah. And uh, when, when, we, when it comes to music, music is such an important role in, in our lives as human beings, right? Like you said, it brings us escapism. It brings yeah, us definitely. opportunities to be happy or to be sad. It brings us opportunities to kind of express ourselves in, yep. in a way that you can't do with other mediums. And so music really is super powerful. And the idea that you can manifest an idea from your brain and put it on paper for someone else to play and someone else to express and someone else to be inspired by is really is really cool. And so I think that for anyone who's able to learn a musical instrument, it really is an amazing journey to go on. Mm. Um, to go from that, that that moment where you don't know what you're doing, your <laughs> fingers are sore, you can't figure stuff out, it takes a time to get there. Yeah. But when you get to a stage where you can pick up a composition and play it, um, there's something freeing about that. And something really cool about that uh, it brings to mind those videos of those piano prodigies like those like yes. nine-year-old kids in china and in yep. japan who are able to play like incredibly complex pieces of music um, and it looks like they are actually the piano like the piano and then become like, yeah. like joined together you see the emotion you see them swaying in their seat you see them feeling that expression and so it's it becomes so much more than just pushing a bunch of keys it becomes a real creative moment where you can get out of yourself and kind of imbue yourself into some music um, and so super cool Chad I need, need to go and check this out and it makes me inspired I want to go and play some piano now <laughs> you really really should Barry and uh, I wish you were this side because uh, one of the cool things that London does have is a few pianos scattered in a couple of locations so so some that come to mind is the Tottenham Court Road tube station where there's a Yamaha piano over there there's another one in King's Cross and 
there's been many times where I walk past and like you say, see an extremely young person um, just playing this amazing piece and just to just to see that crowd develop around them and uh, and really just enjoy the atmosphere and the moment. And I, I don't know, it's one of those things that's really just hard to, uh, to describe, but something so important. I've definitely been missing having a piano this side as well. And uh, I certainly think I'm going to be browsing on Jeff Bezos's account tonight. Let's now move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. All right, looking ahead, we've obviously just spoken about sending people to space on private vehicles. I don't know how we can top that off. Um, But a little article that I found this past week, which I thought was quite interesting, is obviously as we all shift to working from home, it's been more and more important for us to get good gear in our houses in terms of good screens and, you know, really comfortable desks and all of those kinds of things. And so for me, we've obviously all discovered these practicalities now that we are forced to be at home and we don't have the liberty of our employer worrying about every little piece of tech that we're using. Um, And for me, this article was really great. So the idea here is you can strap on a headset onto your head and walk in, even onto your dining room table, for example, and be in any office you wish you could ever be in. So it could be fully augmented. In other words, it doesn't look like anything you can see in front of you. It could be an overlay to a camera. So literally looks like your dining room table, but you could have all of the kind of Tony Stark gadgets you wish. You could have 50 screens all the way around you, every single one of them showing something different. You can interact with the screens, move them around, do whatever you want. Um, Obviously, the sci-fi nerds are loving this, but it's really becoming a possibility because Facebook has put out this little teaser clip of uh, this technology that they've actually been uh, putting together. I think it's fascinating, and I think it could definitely be the future of how we work, Barry. It's very, it's fascinating, Chad. I mean, what comes to mind for me is that I, I want those views of New York in my office. <laughs> I remember when I was when, when I was in a trip, I remember going to some WeWork offices and right. seeing like amazing views of Central Park and of like the, the South River and like all these amazing landscapes. Yeah. I'd love to be able to look out across, across uh, and see kind of the... Uh, the Central Park landscape or whatever. So that's yeah. super cool. And I think that we, we, we talk about working from home, there's going to be a lot of tech that comes in to try and yeah. making that a better experience, trying to make it more collaborative and trying to make it more more useful. Of course, a lot of people haven't invested in their home office before because they've been yeah. working from office so, so much, right? And so they might not have a very fancy place. They might be stuck in the corner of a little study or a corner of an extra bedroom. And uh, stuff like this allows them to really experience things yeah. in a different way. And uh, I think that this has been on Facebook's radar for a while. I mean, we've been waiting to see some sort of VR innovation from them. And so I'm excited to go and check this teaser out and I'm excited to see what this does for f- the future of work. I think that after this pandemic, there's going to be so many more companies who are allowing employees to work remotely. Yep. And uh, these are the kinds of things that might be perks with working in certain companies. They might be able to say, listen, you can work from home and we're going to send you this headset so that you can have the office of your dreams. <laughs> It does really sound uh, so insane. And like you said, Barry, you could uh, within a second be in New York City working at a really, really expensive high rise, um, which is just insane to think of that. Obviously, there's some challenges here. And for me, the one that springs to my mind is is the weight of this thing. Now, I, I haven't ever worn an Oculus Rift and I don't know how heavy it is. But I'd imagine if you're wearing it for eight hours a day, in terms of ergonomics, surely your neck is going to be suffering a little bit. 
Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think it's designed, at least not right now, to yeah. wear the whole day. I think that it would be a real struggle, like you say. <laughs> um, but I think we're slowly starting to move. I mean, the vision, of course, is to have yeah. those glasses, right? The vision is to get sure. to a, a state where you have basically sunglasses on your face that uh, p- perform kind of the work of that VR. And so we're far away from that right now. Yeah. Um, but that is where we're moving towards. And so in all your sci-fi movies, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see either glasses or contact lenses which perform the same things. Um, um, and so I, for one, am excited about that. Um, even if you can only do meetings in them, maybe in a meeting you're able to put them on for that hour and then take them off. Maybe that's a way to get started. Um, but who knows, Chad? We'll have to wait and see. Well, that's a really interesting point, Baron. It really takes me to my next point, which is obviously that we're now using these video conferencing type technologies a lot more. And obviously the fact that you've got this headset on your face is not really too pleasing to look at. If you've got a webcam showing showing off your face that you know you, you can't even see your eyes which I suppose is where the majority of your expressions uh, a lot of the time are coming through. Um, So the one way that they wanted to work around this was to basically have an avatar of you that can show these complicated type expressions um, on a Zoom call, um, which really for me sounds so strange. The fact that you've got this avatar of you who's really representing you on this call. That, it is a bit strange. I, imagine having a formal meeting and someone's got a, a less formal avatar in that meeting. It certainly does change, change, change the landscape. And what if you're negotiating, negotiating a big deal, Chad? Yeah. How do you, how do you like play that, that, that game of body language and when you're negotiating that, that giant contract? Um, and so we have, we have to wait and see. I mean, I think that avatars are going to be an interesting discussion when we think about like virtual communities and virtual worlds. Um, we've seen it in gaming so far. We've seen it in those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, but when it starts to come into the working world, world is really going to change the way we think about what represents us is it the voice is it our ideas is this, is mm-hmm. it the facial expressions or is it a combination of everything um and those avatars of course are going to become a fashion statement but going to be- become like a an extension of you yep. and i wonder what that's going to do for human to human communication really fascinating stuff well let's wait and see what happens there let's now move on to our next segment develop and grow this week on Develop and Grow, we're going to start with a live stream that I watched. And we were chatting offline, Chad, about this guy called Ali Abdal, yeah. who is a YouTuber and a doctor from Cambridge in the UK. And uh, I've been following him for a while. And uh, he's been doing this series on his channel called Deep Dive, which has been right. these long live streams with people that he finds interesting. Um, and f- f- we, we were chatting about it. Often, I, I don't really think they're that valuable. Like they're often right. like an hour and a half or two hours of stuff. And when it's not filtered and not kind of succinct and yep. there's no real agenda to these discussions, they can be seen as a waste of time. But one of his recent ones was with a guy called Derek Sivers. Okay. And Derek Sivers is one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite writers. And so when I saw that, I just had to go just for Derek because Derek mm. is an absolute champion. For those of you who don't know, Derek kind of sees himself as a philosopher of sorts and of a writer of sorts. He started a company called CD Baby when he was a bit younger, which was selling independent music before the likes of Spotify and Apple Music and okay. whatnot. So his entrepreneurial dreams came from that, where he was literally selling CDs on the internet for independent artists. It's a really fascinating story to go Mm. look up if you haven't heard of him before. But ever since then, he's kind of stepped out of the entrepreneurship game and has become a full-on writer who's written a bunch of books. His tweets are amazing. His blog is absolutely incredible. And so when I saw he was on Ali's show, I had to go and listen up. And the discussion, as expected, was such a wonderful breath of fresh air. Derek Sivers is just an amazing thinker and, and the way he thinks about the world is so different to so much of the, the people that I, I listen to and I read. Yeah. Um, and so what I thought, Chad, is I, t- I brought two quotes that I think kind of 
um, summarize the key points that I pulled from his message and go through them one by one. The first quote goes like this. There is more to life than efficiency. You should do things just because you enjoy doing them. The only point of doing anything is to be happy. So just do what makes you happy. Right? So a very simple quote, (laughs) a very kind of easy to understand thing. But it's something that we get pulled away from in normal life. I, I find that we, we're all pulled by the realities of trying to make a living and trying yep. to make a life for ourselves and trying to provide for our families. And, and we get pulled by people's expectations of us, uh, what our parents want us to do, what our friends want us to do, what is seen as socially valuable. And he kind of cuts through all of that and says, listen, the only point of doing anything is, is to be happy, right? Yeah. And so you should do things because you enjoy them, not because they make you money, not because they give you social status, not because of anything else other than you actually enjoy doing them. And so it could be weird and wonderful things. It could be your hobbies we were chatting about earlier. It could be yeah. things that don't have necessarily a big ROI when it comes to e- economics or the way the world works. Yeah. But it was such a wonderful reminder for me that there are things that I enjoy doing in this world that don't make me money, that don't win me status, but I should still do them because that's what life is about. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's one of those quotes that, like you said, is very basic, but just cuts to it. And I'm completely guilty of this myself. Uh, Very, very often, because I want to be efficient, I load so many things on the to-do list. And these are things really that are my hobby, actually. We've spoken about my YouTube channel before, editing these videos. And uh, I've been obviously going through these, editing these, and I I really just make it a, a... a big task for me that I actually stop enjoying the process of doing it. I get to the end of my weekend and, uh, you know, this is the time that I really should be enjoying the downtime and, you know, making the best of it. And obviously I do enjoy putting these vlogs together, but it's great when you're doing it just whenever you have free time. It's very different when you're trying to churn this efficiency out of yourself and, uh, you know, you kind of lose the, the creativity in the whole process as well. This also dovetails really nicely to a little thought that I had this week, actually, while I was doing the thing we're going to be talking about very, very next, um, was that in life, we need some of the chaos to enjoy the downtime. And so, Whatever this activity is that you're thinking about, it's not just about that activity, but it's also about the backdrop with which you do that activity in. So like my vlogs that I just spoke about now, a perfect example, something that you could love doing, if that becomes a kind of a job, you might actually lose that passion for it and it might actually stop making you happy, which I thought was was interesting. We need the rain to enjoy the sun. We need those chaos, busy, crazy days to enjoy that tiny little bit of downtime that we had. And I certainly just started thinking a bit more about this. Spot on, spot on, I love that. The second quote uh, from the the conversation goes like this. It says, goals aren't there to shape the future. It's only a good goal if it makes you take action in the present. Goals only exist to change your present actions for the better. I found this fascinating and this kind of really spoke to me because I, I fall into this trap a lot where I set myself goals with the idea of trying to guilt myself into into something in the future or trying to pull myself in a certain direction or, or, or trying to accomplish something that, that I think is valuable. Yeah. But if that doesn't change how you act today, then what's the point, yeah. right? Then you're just setting yourself up to fail because if you're setting goals in the future that doesn't change how you act today, all you're doing is you're making yourself feel more and more guilty because you're never going to achieve that thing. And so goals is a very valuable exercise. It's very important to write down what you want and try and figure out what path to go on. But the goals have to really be exciting to you and they really have to be important to you. They can't just be the same goals as your friend or the same goals as someone you admire. They have to be able to change the way you view the present moment. 
and a goal is simply that. It's just a, 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 a kind of a, a guidepost to, to work towards. But your habits of today and what you do today to get to that place have to change. Otherwise, mm. the goal is not worth it. Absolutely. And I suppose that's really why these long-term goals mean nothing unless you break it down into those bite-sized chunks and, and track yourself on it really often. We obviously, on the turn of the new year, Barry spoke about our new goals and, and how we were monitoring those. And I'm guilty. I've, I've kind of lost track of those. Obviously, the year has turned out very different to what we thought it would be <laughs> when we were talking. Um, but it's, again, another good reminder to look back upon those goals that you set at the turn of the new year and make sure that you're, you're still, like you say, taking those daily actions and making progress. Um, I think that's a great little insight there, Barry. Thank you very much. So, like I said, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, uh, seeing as we are in Develop and Grow and uh, talking about exercise and all that kind of stuff, is I did a virtual half Ironman this past weekend um i was supposed to do an actual one in april and obviously for obvious reasons that was cancelled um in in spain and uh yeah this was just really very interesting so basically it was completely free so anyone who's looking to take on any of these kinds of challenges um certainly do go and check it out it's the ironman vr program and every single week as far as i know they essentially release a brand new format of a race. So you've got different distances every week. So if you don't want to do a half Ironman, you can do a smaller distance race. Um, I think the one this week is the 5150 format, um, which, yeah, certainly definitely check that out if you want to get involved, but, you know, not spend crazy hours uh, exercising. And I just thought it was really, really interesting uh, to do. It's still, I still, even though I was exercising completely alone, there was obviously none of that race day vibes and you know crowds cheering or anything like that I still managed to in my mind convince myself that I was doing a race and convince myself that throughout the world there are thousands of people who are participating in this race um, and it was definitely a very very different mindset to be in and a different experience to have um, but I certainly enjoyed it and I certainly think it was was worthwhile doing and uh, the, the the most fantastic thing is you know now that I can actually order some merch um, to celebrate the achievement. Um, so I definitely think in terms of innovation, I think Ironman has, has done a good thing. When they first announced this, I was I was very on the edge. I, I really, you know, I was like virtual racing, not the same. Um, but I'm glad they've done something rather than nothing. And the fact that it's free um, for me is just going to introduce a whole lot more people into the sport and uh, make some positive impact in, in people's lives as well. That's awesome, Chad. And first off, congratulations. I know Ironmans are no Thank joke. You. And so I know it, it <laughs> takes a lot of effort, a lot of endurance to get through that. And I know that you haven't been able to train like you would have wanted yeah. because of all the lockdown stuff of the last couple of months. Um, um, but it is nice to be able to join that virtual community and kind of race against all these people around the world. Mm. Um, it kind of reminds me of how the, 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 the Zwift um, app has yep. been really taking off for cyclists, allowing people to do similar things, to race exactly. against friends who are thousands of miles away, right, and kind yep. of join these virtual communities. Yep. And it really does add something. It, it makes it a little bit better than just doing it by yourself. Definitely. And uh, when you're racing against time, against the clock, against yourself or against other people, it really does get the best out of you. Um, and so I think for everyone, if anyone, if you are in this kind of Ironman world and you don't know about this, go and check it out. Go and check out the websites. It's a fantastic opportunity to take advantage of this lockdown to try and get yourself out there and get some blood pumping, get some sweat going. <laughs> um, and uh, we'd love to hear your stories. If you do end up doing one, you end up doing one of the events, please let yeah. us know. We'd love to congratulate you and hear your story. Um, but Chad, congrats, man. And that's awesome. Thank you very much. And yeah, hopefully it does inspire a couple of people just to get involved. The one thing that is great, and, and for those who uh, have been looking at triathlon, uh, a lot of people are scared off at the swim. 
the idea of the swim. And obviously the fact that we don't all have pools or big lakes sitting outside, um, they've substituted the swim leg with a run, um, depending on the distance that you that you take. Um, also, the one other great thing is that you can do the race anytime throughout the weekend. So from Friday night, the window opens, Sunday night it closes, and as long as you get your activities in through that time, um, you know, it's all good. So also great that you can get a night's rest between each of the legs, um, and I definitely think that's a great way for people just to just to get involved and really just to test whether they can actually do this in a safe environment, um, which, which I think is fantastic. So that, unfortunately, Barry, brings us to the close of our episode. I'm going to ask ask you about that question that I asked earlier. Do you know the answer? Oh, Chad, I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to run <laughs> through the Premier League teams. So you say, you say the first five letters, there's no there's vowel. There's no vowels, correct, yeah. That doesn't seem possible, though. <laughs> um, oh, Chad, you put me on my misery. What, what, what Premier League team doesn't have any vowels in the first five letters? Sure. So the team you are thinking of, Barry, is Crystal Palace. Damn it, that's true. <laughs> Jeez, that why isn't that isn't that why a fake vowel though? Isn't isn't <laughs> it certainly is a fake vowel, and uh, I suppose it depends on on how you phrase the question. So you know, I didn't say including fake vowels. Um, that's but. fair enough. That's 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 fair enough. I I, I think I think you I think you're right. Um, we'll have to watch Crystal Palace this week, not this weekend, in, in, in two weeks' time, uh, when the Premier League resumes. Um, and I hope that our listeners uh, were better than me and figured that out before before it got to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again for listening. Please, as we always say, do send us some questions. Tell us what you're enjoying of the show. Tell us what you're not enjoying. Um, we just want to hear more from you. And also, if you'd like us to bring some interesting guests onto the show as well, we'd like to hear from you from that point as well. So thanks for listening. and. It was episode 30 of Across the Pond. Pond, pond, across the pond, with Barry and Chad.